some of the red flags of their competitive analysis just did not make sense. Their product, although it was pretty, was really, really just a shell of what it could be. And so all these things were red flags that you really should look at as a private investor or just in the investment space. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Avery Conda. Avery, are you ready to rock? Oh, you know I am, Andrew. All right, let's do it. So, Avery is all about positive business. First of all, Avery, I love that. That's such a great way to start, just the positive. I love it. Positive business, impact investing, and hashtag social impact everywhere. He is 23 years old, a podcast host, and an impact investor in 18 startups, all of which have a bottom line or mandate for positive impact Beautiful. That's beautiful. Avery works as the Chief Community Engagement Officer for Tandem Park, an online volunteer platform, centralized volunteer portal, and volunteer management software that helps organizations recruit, schedule, and communicate with their teams while making it easier than ever for volunteers to discover and engage in local opportunities to strengthen and enrich their communities. Gosh, I wish I had that when I was president of CFA Society in Thailand. Interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Social Impactors podcast is all about impact. And ladies and gentlemen, you'll have the, the links in the show notes, but just search for the Social Impactors podcast on your iPhones and you'll be able to listen to it. Avery works to highlight impactful individuals making positive social change in their community. Avery, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, no, it's obviously I'm, I'm a little bit young, but I like to say that the amount of work that you put into something and amount of you know, research and time you do, it doesn't change in age, right? It really doesn't. So to anyone out there who's young and anyone out there who's a young investor or looking into getting into it, you can make money and you can do well. You can supplement knowledge and age with research. You really can. And I'll talk about that a little bit later when I get into my story. We hold nothing against youth. We allow you to share your mistakes too. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. One of my books called How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market, which I wrote for my five nieces, I talk about one thing you just reminded me of, which is normally what we hear is that make your mistakes while you're young. But mm. in that book, I challenge that by saying, don't make your investment mistakes when you're young, when it comes to long-term building of wealth, particularly in the stock market, because when an individual starts to invest, for instance, let's just say you invest in some form of diversified ETF and you're trying to build up your wealth to reach some sort of financial independence. If you're not in the market or if you're in and out of the market, you're going to miss the compounding effect of money. And that mm -hmm. compounding effect of money only happens after the 20th and the 30th year of having that money in the market. And in this mm -hmm. case, someone your age has a distinct advantage over people that are older because you have the opportunity to get that money into the market. And so that's part of what I talk about in that book. But anyways, it's a good reminder of that. So it's time to share your worst investment ever. 
And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I'll start off with a little bit, yeah, about what my story is. But I had started off at a, at a young age and I had an interest in uh, the investment world, just how it worked, you know, how people could make money on money. <laughs> that was one of the first thoughts I had was, you know, how does that work? So I did research, I learned, and maybe it's just the type of personality I have, but I decided to just get into it. You know, I had to learn by doing myself. You can watch things and you can learn and you can, you can strategize, but the only way to really do it is actually get involved with it. Uh, so I, I got involved in the stock market. I did okay. Uh, you know, it was very preliminary, very, very low amounts, but it was an interesting way to just immerse myself into it, right? The little bit that I had, I, I put in there and I learned. And I learned and learned and learned and, and that's how I got into it. But I started off, you know, really easy, a little bit diversified in the stock market, but then I did simple things like TFSAs. And I also, which is a tax-free saving account for anyone who's in Canada. So it's the similar to... Many countries have these free uh, tax-free savings accounts or something alike. And then I also did, you know, a retirement saving account. And those were easy ways to learn about how compound interest works, how you can make money on money. And so that was the beginning of my journey. And then I got more diversified in, you know, private investments and getting into uh, more of the angel investing world. And that's where uh, it's your capital against yourself. So that's even more dangerous (laughs) because in the stock market, you might lose, you know, like you had talked about. Uh, we talked about before with options, but there's a chance that you can still come back from those, right? But when you invest your own personal capital and you're investing also your own personal confidence in who you are as an investor, that's a different story. So that's how I started. I started off easy, started off small, and then worked my way up into a little bit more of the private investment realm. And so how did it go? Easy is the best way to start. Yeah. (laughs) So it was nice. It was nice because it was a little bit of, you know, uh, one toe in. (laughs) It was a little bit of a one toe in because I was able to keep that safety net. And, you know, I didn't do aggressive portfolios at that moment. I did quite low end, low risk investments and let me make a little bit and let me learn. But that led to me, you know, getting a little bit of what I like to call the investor itch. And so I just wanted, you know, more and more and more and to learn more, not necessarily make more, but I just love the idea of doing it. And that's kind of where the beginnings of not a dangerous journey, but it can be a little bit sporadic, right? And you can invest a lot and lose a lot or invest a lot and make a lot. But it's based on you can use formulas and you can use ways to strategize, you know, how things will make money, but it doesn't always work. (laughs) And so I learned that the hard way. And, you know, I, I did a lot of I would say pretty stupid investments early on. And, you know, they were investments based on emotion. So I would, I would invest in companies that I was emotionally attached to, which you should never do in the beginning. And, you know, this was myself as, you know, an 18 or 19 year old. And I thought I knew the world. I thought I knew it all, but I didn't. And so I would invest emotionally. And those failed because you should never invest on an emotional basis. It's very, very much an objective decision. You know, I, I would invest sporadically. I'd make a little bit more money this month. So I would invest a little bit more. Uh, and that's not always a good idea, right? You should only ever invest about 10% of your net worth, right? Or 10% of what you are able to do. And I, sometimes I would do more. And although I was making more, I could have saved that or, you know, I could have done the smart thing and taken my girlfriend on vacation, right? Because <laughs> the ROI on that's a lot more attainable sometimes. <laughs> so, I mean, I learned a lot, but it was an interesting process to get into. And then it led to some decisions where it was, I got in the private investment realm. 
And when I did that, I invested in, you know, a, a technology company that I can't really name it at this time, but no you know, it was, a, yeah, it was a little bit of that, you know, emotional attachment as well. I got an, invested into it emotionally and I tried to remain objective and, you know, I started off with the right questions. I started off with, you know, what's your burn rate? You know, how much capital have you spent already from uh, initial investors? You know, what's the team that you have behind it? What was the mission? You know, things like that. But there was a lot of red flags. And I mean, the one thing that I really want to highlight for a lot of young investors is the one thing we do have is we have a lot of intuition. I think generally humans have a lot of intuition and you should never invest on intuition. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that intuition of something doesn't feel right is usually there for a reason. And with this company, I didn't really listen to that. You know, I was kind of caught up in the, the guise of, wow, this is, you know, an incredible product. This is an incredible team. They're doing incredible things. You know, they already had multiple exits. All of it kind of came together that they couldn't fail. Yet some of the red flags of where money was being spent, some of the red flags of their competitive analysis just did not make sense. Their product, although it was pretty, was really, really just a shell of what it could be. And so all these things were red flags that you really should look at as a private investor or just in the investment space and didn't listen to it. <laughs> so lost the entire investment. And this was from my age and the amount of net worth that I have. It was a big, it was, it was a, a lot of money that I lost. It was a big investment. And I tell, think, tell us about, you know, how it kind of fell apart. Like what was your feelings at the time? Was it a slow fall apart or did it just like, oh my God, in one day you realize it's gone. It wasn't one day. I mean, I think it took me a night to realize I probably shouldn't have done that. But it was, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, there could still be light. <laughs> so that was the problem, right? I kept telling myself that there could be light, that this company could do something good, that these people could be good, but it slowly fell apart. So I saw any time that they would do an investor update, whether it was quarterly or monthly, and normally it was monthly. So that was a nice thing because one thing you look for in private investing is those monthly updates. And they were doing that. But every month they were still losing money and they were losing money consistently. And that's just not a good thing to see. And there was no sign of it turning around. And they were very open about that, which was nice. The transparency was nice, but their spending didn't make sense. And they were in a new market that none of these founders had been in before. And so that was dangerous, right? You can have multiple exits, but when you're in something entirely new, that's a challenge that they have to get over. And so I slowly fall apart. And what was nice about it is the one thing that I did is I used this as a case study for myself. I stepped back and said, yeah, you lost your investment. Oh, well, right. I mean, the worst that happens is you lost money that you can just make back. You just got to work harder for a little bit. And what I did is I researched, right? So I learned about where the company might've failed. I learned about what they had done wrong. And I use that now as kind of my guideline for investments that I make now. And so that guideline I follow to a key. And if my intuition tells me there's those red flags, I tend to listen to it pretty quick. And I mean, one of my favorite statements, this is by Jason Kalanakis. He's uh, an angel investor from Silicon Valley. And he talks about every 10 years, there's going to be the next unicorn business, right? So every 10 years, and it's actually shortening. It's a, he says it's about every seven years now, there's the next unicorn company. So if an investment feels wrong, listen to your gut, listen to the intuition you have, or listen to the research that you've been able to compile. If the company doesn't make sense, but you think it could do something, don't invest in it, right? You'll come into that company where everything just falls in place. And that might be the next unicorn business, right? Mm. Okay. So let's try to summarize it for the listeners. What lessons did you learn? How would you list those out? 
Yeah, I think the smartest thing that a, a young investor or anyone who's getting into the investing realm is invest light and invest in multiple different pathways, right? So what you really want to do is you want to do simple low-risk investments like those TFSAs or equivalent in another country or you know even an RRSP and just learning about retirement, how to build that. Because my personal opinion is that RRSPs are still a saving grace, right? You can invest in stock markets, but if you build that up and you just let it sit and you put a little bit in over time, you could have a million dollars, which, you know, I don't know if that's enough to survive anymore as, you know, costs rise, but it's nice to say that, you know, when you're you're 60 years old, you have a million dollars. So I think these are, are building blocks and starting blocks you can take that then allow you to not lose investments as quickly, right? Be a little bit more researched in how you invest and invest in moderate and then aggressive portfolios. Got it. Okay, let me summarize what I took away and then let me know if I missed anything. The first thing that, you know, it reminded me is, I don't know if you remember, but angels, angels, where do they come from? Was that the Bible? Where do angels come Mm. from? I think angels are old Mm -hmm. or are angels young. My point is, is that to be an angel investor or a VC investor, you probably want to wait until you've accumulated a large amount of wealth. And I think that's part of what you're saying in one of your learnings of it. As a young investor, stay focused Mm. on getting the fundamentals down because angel and VC investment is sexy, but it's the worst, highest risk place to be investing. Mm -hmm. And it can go right, but it's best that you own 10 or 20 companies as an angel investor, rather than betting it all on one. And when you're young and you don't have enough money, it is hard to diversify across many different companies. Could be done, mm-hmm. but you'd have to really work at that. Um, the second thing is I take away is I like your idea of developing your own guidelines. Now, mm-hmm. there's, obviously, there's a lot of books out there that you can read and get good guidelines. But I think the key thing is to build your guidelines that fit around what you believe. And the last thing is you know, what I tried to explain to my nieces when they were young was that, you know, you're going to see all kinds of investment opportunities throughout your life, but really there's only one sure way to get rich in the stock market. And that is to leave your money in there for 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if you look at Warren Buffett's, the latest book called Snowball, you know, that's about the accumulation of money. And he's had his money in the stock market for decades. And that's allowed it to get that compounding impact. So the book, How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market, is like, if we had to boil it down to the simplest methodologies of investing in instruments that are available these days, like ETFs and funds, and those Mm -hmm. ETFs and funds could be purchased, depending on what country you're in, they could be purchased for some sort of tax incentivized account that your government does. But even if it's not in that, you can still build that over time. And what I always say is to people is build up your first $100,000 in that account. And then start thinking about, oh, okay, how could I, for additional money, maybe I want to take some higher risk and have some fun. But the point is, is that $100,000 is going to be worth a lot over time. And therefore, start that young. And when I said in the beginning, don't make your mistakes when you're young. What I mean is don't make the investment mistake that I think a lot of people listening to this program, you know, think, which is I should have started a lot earlier. So for that, Mm. Avery, I would commend you for 
taking the risk and getting out there and trying and learning. So fantastic. Well done. Is there anything I missed in what I summarized there? No, no. I want to piggyback on a couple of things you said, Mm. (laughs) especially the last statement that, you know, one of the biggest regrets a lot of people have is they should have got in earlier and couldn't agree more. And it's funny because the barrier of entry is actually quite low, right? The barrier of entry to get into the stock market, it really is quite easy. And there's companies that make it even easier, right? All you have to do is set up an account and link your bank and then put $1,000 in. And that's the minimum entry into the stock market. Like these are things that we really don't teach our kids a lot. And the reason that I know about it is because I invested time, right? And when I would have a bad investment, what I would do is I would supplement that lack of knowledge with research, 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 right? So I would supplement that with learning more about it. And that allowed me to understand it. But if I didn't have that desire to learn, I wouldn't know. And I wish it was something that we taught more about. So anytime that I meet someone that says, you know, I want to get in the stock market, I give them the tools, right? Or I say, just do it, right? You could lose your first $1,000 investment. But if you get into it, the amount of knowledge you've now learned has given you the opportunity to then make more in the future, right? And that was the starting point. You couldn't do that without just learning and doing it. Fantastic. Yeah, the one thing that's kind of fun to think about is, think about when I was 23, Investing in the stock market was almost impossible for a 23-year-old when I was 23 because a few hurdles. First, the minimum amount that you invest was a lot larger than it is now. The second thing is that we didn't have ETFs and passive funds. So Mm -hmm. you're going to either have to really do your research and figure out how to build a portfolio of stocks or you're somehow going to find one of the maybe 500 investment funds that were out there to invest in. And nowadays, when you think about the passive funds and ETFs, any young person could go today and put, as you said, a thousand. In my niece's case, we started with three thousand for each of them. You can take a thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, open up an account at a company like Vanguard, as as an example, in the U.S., a global leader in passive funds, as an example, and you could buy every single stock in the world. And now you're going to own every single stock in the world. And you know what, Avery, what's the coolest thing about that? Mm. When you go to a party and someone says, yeah, nickel's rising. Oh, yeah, I own nickel. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because you, you own companies that benefit from rising nickel. And then in all the companies in the world, they're going to say, oh, yeah, Apple's going up. Yep, I own Apple. Then they're going to go, yeah, did you see the turnaround that's happening at company XYZ? Yep, I own that. <laughs> <laughs> because you own every stock in the world through that diversified ETF or passive fund, you own everything. And now you don't get the gain that you hope you're going to get by investing one by one, but you get the benefit of being able to be exposed to the stock market over a long period of time. So let me ask you, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate as you've just described to us? Yeah, losing money. <laughs> I mean, the best advice I have is is actually an action that I did. And, you know, I was mad that I lost this money and I was mad that I didn't have the knowledge to be ready for, for those challenges. And what I did is I actually met with a, an angel investor. So in the local community, every community has an angel investor network or an angel network of some sort, right? Usually they're called something along the lines of GAN, which is your angel networks. And I did a cold email and I said, you know, hey, I've met you a couple of times, you know, in these investor realms. I'd love to meet with you and just pick your brain. 
And what I did is I met with him over coffee, very quick uh, conversation, let's say 45 minutes. And I asked him and I showed him, you know, exactly where I screwed up. I showed him where I lost money. I showed him where I gained money. And that was one of the pivotal meetings or moments that I had because he told me exactly, you know, what I should be doing and not in the sense of what to invest in because no one really knows that, right? They can give advice, but it's really up to you to where to invest your money. But he gave me the knowledge of how to invest in the stock market even better, right? He gave me the knowledge of the dirty grittiness of what you had talked about in the angel realm, right? It's a full-time job. It's something that you invest your day in. You meet with co-founders consistently, weekly, monthly, right? This is a job for people. And the sexiness of it is there, but it is a gritty, gritty, gritty world. And so he told me to take a step back, right? And so what I did is I did, you know, small investments here and there, but I really owned my time in on, like you had talked about passive income, but also these private investments that allowed me to do smaller amounts. So I wasn't putting too much on the plate, not using too much of my network. And so that meeting was pivotal. I met with a mentor. And if I think I can encapsulate it, it's meet with a mentor, meet with someone in that industry that can really guide you along the way. Great advice. And when I was your age, a lot of my, I call them my mentors, came from the books that I read. So mm. if, if you're not in a locale where you can necessarily meet, or maybe you're shy or afraid to reach out, the first advice is don't be afraid to reach out. You'd be surprised how few people do reach out and people are willing to help and talk. But the second thing is that if you just don't have that same opportunity, then pick up a good book on investing. And there's a lot of good foundational books on investing that, you know, I can actually put a couple of them in the show notes here. So now last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is to own my skills a little bit more. So, uh, you know, I've made a little bit of money. I've learned a lot in this short period of time, but I have a whole lifetime of investment going up and I, I can only imagine if I put more research in what I can get to, right? And so, I mean, that's maybe that's a little bit more advice too for other young uh, investors, but it's going to be doing a lot of research, you know, reading a lot more, meeting with these mentors more often and getting more immersed into this world. I might even take an unpaid internship with a VC capital firm just to learn that side as well. It's taking those opportunities to really get immersed in that world. Beautiful, beautiful. And I highly recommend, you know, some of what you've already talked about is writing it down. I have things that I wrote down when I was your age that I can still go back and go, wow. And it's amazing that when you look back at what you did write down and where you kept your focus, you know, you can reach big heights. And I started in the world of finance and I would have never expected that I would, at the age of 50, I would get my PhD in finance but I devoted my whole life to it. And, and a lot of what I was doing at a young age was trying to understand it. So write it down, think about it, build and own your skills. I like it. Well, listeners, that's it. You have another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Avery, Thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just want to say keep investing and invest when you can. Don't wait for it. Thanks for having me on the show, Andrew. Fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.